Welcome, welcome to yet another edition of TTTT, Tuesday's Timely Torah Talks, Chazak's amazing Tuesday program. Today we have yet another special guest, a very dear friend, Reb Hanan Gordon, all the way from Los Angeles. Welcome, Reb Hanan. How are you doing? Wonderful, Reb Yaniv. It's an honor and a pleasure. As you know, I've had the, the honor of uh, speaking on behalf of Chazak, and what can I tell you? A, uh, a a deep pleasure to be back in the hot seat tonight. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. I actually met uh, Reb Hanan in Eretz Yisrael, in Eretz HaKodesh, on the Am Echad mission uh, a few years ago, together with yeah. the Good Israel. And uh, to be a very, very interesting uh, interview. And uh, we're going to be discussing, will your grandchildren be Jewish? So Reb Hanan, let's jump into it. The research article that you co-authored with Richard Horowitz has become one of the most cited publications on the topic of intermarriage. Can you first give us a context of how the concept was developed until the famous demographic chart first appeared? With pleasure. So just for, for the audience, um, I, I'd come back from Yeshiva. Uh, at that point in time, my co-author, Richard Horowitz, was, I believe, the president of Asia Torah International. And he had in his mind he pictured in his mind how he wanted uh, the research to come out. I had, uh, Baruch Hashem, you know, a, uh, a, a background in research in academia, and it was a, it was a terrific partnership. We, in 1990, every 10 years, roughly, there's a major census or survey that's done um, in America. And usually, one of the Jewish organizations, the Federation, or in the most recent one, the, the Pew Report, sort of piggyback on that to get an idea of uh, what's happening with sociological and demographic ch- uh, trends. So what we did was we took not only the 1990 National Jewish Population Survey, we took the raw data. We got permission to get the raw data. We hired some of the top uh, sociolo- people in uh, sociology and demography so that people wouldn't point fingers at us and say that we are imposing our view. And what we thought was going to take maybe eight months, years later, we finally, for the first time, it first uh, was published um, in Moment magazine in 1996. Uh, we specifically wanted a publication that wasn't, you know, so-called a Torah publication to give it credibility. And literally within a few months, uh, my, my former professor from Harvard reached out to us, asked for permission to put our demographic chart in his book, The Vanishing American Jew. Wow. And it's, uh, it's clear that it, it snowballed. I think the one thing I want to tell your viewers, which is very interesting, the overriding Rosh Yeshiva that we consulted with was Rav Yaakov Weinberg's Atzal. So Rabbi Weinberg told us, as long as you are completely accurate, in other words, footnote things, don't, don't exaggerate, you're going to have brocha, and Siyata Dishmaya with this research. And it seems that the Rosh Hashiva's bracha was Mekuyim because we, it's been translated into, I think, 11 languages. It's wow. appeared in uh, many publications. And Rav Moshe Shiraz, that's all the, the, the uh, former head of Akurus Israel, before he passed away, he insisted that we do a full page ad in the New York Times, part of the Amichad's first campaign. Um, so it seems that the bracha was Mekuyim and uh, you know, it seems to have really hit a raw nerve with many, many people. 
unbelievable, amazing, amazing. What do you think was unique about your publication that captured the imagination and caused it to become so well known? It's an excellent question. <clears throat> I think a picture paints a thousand words, right? We, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're learning in, in, in the partials now about the carbonus. If a person does a transgression, why don't you just tell them to go to the base of Megdash and, and say vidoy? But they have to put their hands on an animal. They see the animal being consumed. The whole thing, the ritual, when you see something, it has such an impact on you that the power of the eyes. So this picture, the, this, the, the whole article was really done to capture this picture. And this graph and this chart paints a thousand words. When anyone sees the different denominations, starting from you know, less affiliated, secular, to reform, conservative, and showing three generations later what the potential future is of each of these denominations based on criteria uh, uh, that we're going to discuss, it's very difficult not to be impacted. You know, if one has any, any desire to have Jewish, you know, uh, descendants. Could you bring that closer to the screen? Oh, sure. So, so, so you have to the left, well, that is secular. I'm not sure. That I'm, yeah. I'm, okay. So we have to the, the left, each, uh, each sister, if you will, represents 10 people. So we start off on generation number one, uh, showing essentially 100 people. And we're saying the next generation, based on the intermarriage rate of each denomination and the number of children per family, if we see all things being equal, what are what is the chance of uh, the generation in the first column, having Jewish pro progeny, having descendants. Wow. And, and it's very, Look very Look at the Orthodox community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at those um, the, the, there's no question, uh, Reb Yaniv, that it's organizations like Chazak, and we can discuss this, that get a tremendous amount of credit for the, the disproportional growth on this side of the Orthodox, and for people who've moved over, and I'll talk about that in a moment, who didn't grow up with a strong Torah background, who are reconnecting with their strong Jewish heritage. Wow. According to your research, um, what are the main factors causing non-Orthodox American Jews to face a threat? To, to... Beautiful. So I, I will say like this. The two main factors that are causing denominations that are not orthodox, unfortunately, to face a, a, a extinction is the intermarriage rate and, the, num and the, the average number of children per family. If we just take the most recent Pew report in 2013, the, the, we, we, and we summarize it into one soundbite, 71% of non Orthodox marriages from the year 2005 to 2013 were intermarriages. 71%, just that alone, should give people a pain in the gut. And then you compound that by the following. When you do sociological or demographic trends, the one criteria that we have to factor in is called ZPG, which is called zero population growth, meaning if you are, if a family has less than 2.1 children per family, 
then they are below replacement rate, meaning that the mortality is higher than the replacement. So the only denomination that has an average a number of children um, uh, per family more than that, that is more than 2.1 is the Orthodox. So imagine if I took a glass and put it in the sun and, and, and walked away. By the end of the day, the water will evaporate. That you know you don't have to do anything. So what's happening, unfortunately, is more, the non-Orthodox, uh, the, most of the non-Orthodox Jews are not having enough children to replace uh, the people that are, that are, are, are dying. And then you add on that, that the majority of them intermarry. You can understand why organizations like Chazak have their hands full. 100%, 100%. Wow, that is, uh, that's so sad. That is so sad. So, so you and Mr. Haritz have published three versions of right. your article, Will Your Grandchild Be Jewish? Based on national Jewish surveys that have been done early, uh, done every 10 years or so, right? What exactly. findings do you see in the most recent research that you did based on the Pew report that were not major factors 10 years ago? What's the difference 10 years ago? Beautiful. <clears throat> so there are, there are a few things, but one of the major factors that we saw in the most recent research, which was, as you well said, uh, the Pew report of 2013, is that there's a large percentage of people that are not getting married or they're getting married very late in life. So unfortunately, we live in the Western culture, which is, and pop culture has got an emphasis on career. You've got to do this. You've got to have a certain amount of followers on Instagram. And by the time you turn around, you're 45 years old and you've missed the whole purpose instead of putting the big rocks in first. So one of the biggest things that we saw is people either not getting married, or getting married much later, automatically that means the fertility rates go down because they can have less children. Uh, so that's a huge thing that we saw. One of the big tragedies we also saw in the most recent uh, Pew report is that 62% of American Jews that were, that were uh, interviewed as part of the Pew report said that being Jewish is, is a matter of culture. The whole concept of the fact that we are descendants of the greatest national revelation and the almighty gave us the instructions for living is not in their conscience. It's like, you know, some guys play baseball, some guys are Jewish and it's very, very sad. And I think part of the reason uh, is that the average American Jew, if you're a male, their, their, their Judaism stops at the age of 13. And if you're a, a girl at the, at the age of 12, so they have a very superficial understanding of Yiddishkeit. And unless they have the schus of, someone from Chazak, uh, you know, have, being able to transition them from a public school and really understand the beauty of Judaism, unfortunately, most of them land up to be a statistic. That is, that, 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 that's so sad. Is there any silver lining to your article? Or is it all doom and gloom and all sad and all depressing? Give us some light. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I, we can't, uh, we definitely can't depress the, your audience. In fact, there, there's, there is definitely some silver lining, and I, I want to share a few with the audience. Firstly, the, what we found, what the Pew Report found, is that out of 5,250,000 Jews in America, 8.5% were what we would consider observant or orthodox. But here's the kicker. Out of that 8.5%, about 30% of those were, were not raised orthodox. Again, Eight and a half percent 
of the Jewish population were identified as Orthodox, but 30% of those people were not raised Orthodox, which means, which means 100%, which means I believe the following, and, and uh, <clears throat> I think you know me uh, well enough, I'm spending a lot of my time, Rabbi Aniv, on campus speaking to people. I think I see a lot of the secular kids out there, you know, they ascend up the ladder and realize, you know, it's leaning against the wrong wall. It's, they, they walk around with a huge void and they turn around and say, this, it can't be the purpose of life is to get into an Ivy League school and, you know, and have a photograph of an NBA player on my, there's got to be more. There's no purpose. They don't feel a reason. That is the number. What you just said is, is the, the number one thing. I want to quickly tell your viewers a, a story. One of my kids went on a yeshiva outing to San Francisco. San Francisco has the Golden Grave Bridge. This is crazy when I heard this, and it took me a while for it to register. As part of the tour, they went to the Golden Grave uh, Bridge, and there were two gentlemen that are sort of doing shmira, guarding the bridge. And, wh- and one of the kids said, you know, what's, what's your job? And he said, and, it's, and if, if, if you're going to hear a big hue from your audience, it's now that one of their main jobs is to make sure that people don't get on that bridge and jump off. Their job is to avoid people committing suicide. So one of the the, the kids said, I'm sure people jump and some of them don't succeed. And, and, you know, when you, when you jump down and swim and you save them, what's the main reason when, when they come out of the river and you ask them why you did this and without fail, all of them said, there's no meaning. There's no purpose in our life. A human being cannot live in this world without a sense of to what end. So the silver lining is the tremendous amount of people are re-evaluating uh, their commitment to Yiddishkeit. Baruch Hashem. That's why I'm light. You've outlined the problem in a very clear terms, but w- what's the solution? What can we do to turn the numbers to be even more, uh, you know, to, to, to keep their Jewish heritage and, and, and to bring them back to Torah and Ma'asim Tavim and good deeds and, and mitzvot and, good, and, and positive commandments. What do you suggest? So I want your audience to know that, that nobody from Chazak gave me a script. No one told me to say this. Uh, Rabbi Marav did not say, but the number one thing is the impact that you can have in terms of a, a, a Jewish education during their formative years, which is usually uh, elementary school, high school, the difference between a kid going to public school versus a kid during their formative years having exposure to Torah is the most profound thing. Uh, a lot of the research by Sylvia Barak Fishman, uh, Alvin Schiff, uh, a lot of the top sociologists claim show very clearly the difference between a person who had a during their formative years a an experience of Torah that was warm, that was loving, as opposed to, unfortunately, a lot of the schools, you know, the, the impression that, that Judaism is this rigid thing and Hashem's standing on a cloud waiting to give you a zetz. So a, a Jewish day school education, number one, Jewish day camps is 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 a also has a tremendous ratio. We found that youth programs are, are very powerful. Uh, campus programs, when when a lot of young students are searching, and then subsidized trip to Israel. But there's no question that the work that Chazak uh, does by helping young people be exposed and realizing uh, that the, that the richness and the beauty of our heritage 
is probably the most profound way that you can impact, that you can ensure that you're part of the solution and not part of the problem. Oh, wow. That, that, that just gave me such chizuk, such inspiration. And, and I want to let the, the, the large audience all around the world, uh, let them know that, that the, where I'm speaking right now is the Chazak headquarters located in Jewel Avenue in Queens in New York. And in this area alone, there's over 10,000 Jewish kids that go to public schools. 10,000 kids. Wow. Now, what makes this community different than many other communities is the fact that they're mostly from traditional homes. They're from oh. the Bukharian uh, uh, background. And uh, to bring them back is easy, meaning they're not against Yiddish guy. They're not against Judaism. It's just that, unfortunately, they just don't know any better because the communist Russia took it away from them. So we've seen our success of bringing them back. Unbelievable, Baruch Hashem. But it's not just our community here in Queens. We've our, our yeshiva placement division upstairs. They work all around the country, even in Canada, other uh, other countries. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem, I'm happy to announce that we're already very, very, very close to the one thousand mark of kids transferred wow. to yeshivas. Baruch Hashem, Hashem, and we're not satisfied. We're not Beautiful. satisfied. We want to do more. We're ready, willing, and able to bring back every single holy neshama. And whoever cannot make it to yeshiva for whatever reason, you know what we have for them? We have after-school programs. We have Sunday school programs. We have teens division programs. Unfortunately, they're in public schools. But after school, let's try to be mekar of them. We've seen tremendous amount of atzlachav success during these types of programs, even though they might not have been in yeshiva background. But Baruch Hashem, thank God, <clears throat> we see that there has been a, 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 a great uh, kirva closeness uh, for these kids to come closer to Dagadosh Baruch Hu. I mentioned the word yeshiva background. I got to share with you something cute. Please. Someone just sent me a message. I do shiduchim here and there. And, uh, and uh, one boy told someone, can you take a picture of me um, behind the yeshiva? So the guy's like, why would I take a picture of you behind the yeshiva? He's like, because the shatchan said I should have a yeshiva background. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> That's Kivaldi. But all kidding aside, Reb Hanan Gordon, Mamash, these numbers are researched. They're real. This is this is the future. We need to yeah. wake people up. We need everyone to get involved with Kiruv, with bringing our fellow brothers and sisters that are far to bring them close. And 100%. there's so much programs, so much amazing organizations all over. All you have to do is reach out. And Be'ezot Hashem, we're ready, willing, and able to do everything and anything to help. Rabbi Khanan, you're from Los Angeles. Yep. You told us about the need for inspiration, Baruch Hashem. Chazak yep. stepped up. And Baruch Hashem, we put together so many amazing virtual amazing. programs. I know that God bless Robbie from our office staff. Unbelievable. Our events managers organizing events virtually for basically every single state, every single... It's unbelievable. Everyone that is ready, willing, and able and wants, we're ready, willing, and able. Rabbi Hanan Gordon, so inspiring. Could you leave us sure. one final message, one final thought for our broad audience all over the world. With pleasure. So I, here's what I see as someone who speaks a lot on campus, as someone who speaks to uh, both famous people and, you, you know, the, uh, the average person. What people don't realize, I want to just, there's two points. People are so drowning in social media. And what they don't realize is what that... social media? I'm sorry. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> what people don't realize is that while they've got this follower and this thumbs up, there's millions of lonely people out there. It, it, not, not everyone, perhaps, is going to be Rabbi Yaniv Marov and start an unbelievable organization. But a smile showing a, a little bit of warmth, it breaks through that there's so many people that tell me, 
Rabbi, the reason that I came to this is you stopped and you showed some sensitivity. You showed some care. There's so many lonely people out there. That's number one. Number two, I'll tell you one, one thing that someone pointed out, and I think it's true. I think the reason Akadosh Baruch Hu navigated my career so I was surrounded by and represented in different capacities, famous athletes and famous celebrities, is because when I really got to know these people that everyone would know, they lonely, dysfunctional people. And it was, it was unbelievable how they looked, they looked at me and they were looking at me with a yarmulke and they felt with all their palaces and their private jets, it's a whole, I have a void. I am, what can I do now? And it's amazing that we have in our backyard the treasure. We've got the instructions for living. We all know the very final destination. What, what we have with this, the, the instruction for Torah Chaim and organizations like Chazak is the GPS to help us make sure that we do little less recalculating and make sure that this journey is meaningful and purposeful and we can ignite a little spark in this dark world to, to have hopefully bring some warmth and touch all our disenfranchised brothers and sisters. And as we go through Pesach, as we go through Pesach, think that the constrictions, Mitzrayim comes from Shorish Meitzah, which means restricted. There's so many of our, our brothers and sisters that are so restricted because they just don't know. It's a little greeting, a little, a, a little touch of the beauty of Torah, and the shackles come off, the pintelid is ignited, and Be'ez Hashem, with everyone touching someone, their cousin, their friend, we can all make sure that when we do our next research, Be'ez Hashem, we'll see a very different chart, and we'll see people coming back to Torah in droves. Amen. Wow, that is amazing. We should be zocher. We should marry to see the geula shenema, the complete redemption, speed in our days, and bring as many people closer to Torah and closer to mitzvot and closer to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, to God Almighty. And it should be very easily and very. Amen, amen. Thank you very much. Thank you for keep up the good work, Rabbi Aniv. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.